It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, glad you could join us together this season. Hey, today I'm going to take you back in a message I delivered a while back. Actually, as I kind of reviewed it a bit for today's show, I realized it's actually a chapter out of a book that I wrote called Is It Real When It Doesn't Work? And it's a great book on First Peter. You can't go buy it at the bookstore anymore, but you could go to Amazon, and they have a few if you're interested in it that you could... You could uh, uh, probably pick up that's used or maybe never sold and they're jammed away in some warehouse somewhere. But it's not a bad book. And this is really a good message. And I was sitting here with Mark and thought, yeah, let's let's run that one. I, th- I think I, I like that material. And uh, so hope you enjoy it today. And uh, so glad you're joining us again in this uh, great, great time to be devoted to Jesus. The faith that we follow that was exhibited in the Lord Jesus Christ is one that is committed to this understanding that Christianity is a lifestyle. A lifestyle that is built out of basic building blocks in our life. And I want to suggest to you the worst time to think about being led of the Lord is when you vitally need guidance. The best time to think about being led of the Lord is today and begin building building blocks in your life that will ensure your ability to hear His voice and know His will, to be at the place of His outpouring and His blessing. And this morning in the passage we read, there are at least eight. Eight vital building blocks to making sure you'll be in the will of God. There's no way we're going to talk about all eight of them. I'm not even going to promise that I'll, that I'll go over them next week either. I don't know what we'll do. I honestly thought I could preach this whole message this morning and discovered last night that there was no way it was going to happen. I'd simply like to read the 11 verses and outline the eight points here that are eight building blocks to knowing God's will. And write that down as a title on your Bible or your notes. If you can't write in your Bible, throw it away and I'll give you a good one. But, but uh, it, it'll help you remember this. Let's read it beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, choose to do, rather, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Does anybody want to stand and uh, cop to those things this morning? No, let's just leave them out there. He's getting kind of rough, isn't he? <clears throat> These guys, he's not exactly trying to build their self-esteem. Do you get that picture there? Okay. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Now let me explain this verse because it can be easily misunderstood. That verse 6 has absolutely nothing to do with our theme today, but I, I feel compelled to explain it so there's no confusion or misunderstanding. In the New Testament perspective... Uh, what happened before Jesus' coming? In fact, it's an Old Testament biblical perspective as well. 
when individuals died before Jesus' resurrection, they were captive to death in a location the Bible calls Shale Hades. And even the righteous were held captive to the demonic authority that had the key to death until Jesus was resurrected and broke the bondage of, of death in, in the life of, of his righteous that he had called. And, and the Bible suggests that in, in a place in one of Jesus' parables, he called it the bosom of Abram, Abram's bosom. You've probably heard the old, some of the gospel songs about the bosom of Abram. And that was the place where the righteous were held, though with the other righteous, they were still captive to the spirit of death. Now what happened biblically in the New Testament, if we were to build a composite of many verses and, and pay close attention to the context and, and get from them what they would teach, we would discover that when Jesus went into the bowels of the earth for three days, he went into Shale Hades and declared and proclaimed God's great victory in his death and resurrection. And he took the keys of death and hell and he freed, according to Ephesians 4, all those that have been held captive by death and ushered them into the presence of the Father by His sacrifice. His blood and gracious gift gave them authorization to be in the presence of the Lord. Those who had rejected God and, and, and righteousness before His time even were judged according to God's standard. Now, Hebrews 12 says that this host that is in heaven, in the grandstands of heaven, observing our walk and battle on a fallen planet for God's kingdom. And so it is this point that this verse addresses, that everyone has had to face accountability. The primary point is this. We all will be accountable for how we managed God's will in our life. That's the point. Now, verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. I want to pause right there. There are two points so far that have to do, as you know, there's only one phrase in here that had anything to do with the will of God. You look up here in verse 2. It says, uh, the, he's contrasting a lifestyle and value system that is, that is man's will with a lifestyle that is built around God's will. And there is in verse 1, the number one point. And you can write a number one by the word arm. He says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. And that is Christ's attitude. Secondly, jump down here to, uh, let's go ahead and jump to verse 7 and put the number 2 there. The end of all things is near. Put a number three before the next word, therefore, which is the next building block. He says, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. In other words, praying is the third building block to being in God's will. Number four, put by verse eight. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's love, a loving lifestyle will be putting you in a position of being in God's will. Fourthly, uh, rather, fifth, I mean fifth. Verse 9, put a number 5 there. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, involve your home in what is happening. And number 6 is in verse 10. Each one of you should uh, use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its very forms. In other words, steward or administrate your resources, your abilities, and gracious gifts from God. Steward them properly and you'll be in God's will. 7, verse 11, is if anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. In other words, speak with a confidence that God is in fact, in fact working through you with giftedness. And number 8, 
If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Great section of scripture. Eight points there. Eight building blocks. And if we had time, which would be about two or three hours, and if I could speak well enough to keep your attention, and it would be we could in any way consume that volume of, 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 of scriptures, we could learn a great deal about the basic building blocks to knowing God's will. I offer you no methodology today. I could give you some methodological keys that would be no more valid than your heart preparation having lived out the basic fundamentals of Christianity. What do you do when it isn't working for you? Remember we started out that way? And Peter is acutely concerned being a wise old counselor, a spiritual counselor in the church of Jesus Christ. He is very concerned that these people in their troubling times don't get confused and forget about having a concern for walking in God's will. He's very concerned about that. I don't know about you, but when things start going wrong, that's when I start wondering if I'm in God's will or not. How about you? How many would, would confess to that? I do. I look around. And it is, yeah, this isn't going perfect. I must have missed God's will along the way. Right? Well, Peter starts off in this place, and he says, first of all, arm your attitudes. Get your attitudes in line with the kind that, that can hear God's will. Now, I want to ask, give you a little quiz. I'm going to give you five phrases that would be descriptive of a life. And write down the number of the phrase, and I'll read them twice, that most would describe your view of your life right now. Are you ready? Okay. Number one is, my life is primarily like a jail sentence. When I get up in the morning, my life is like a jail sentence. I've got 15 more years to serve till pension time. Number two, my life is a harried rush against the clock. Thirdly, my life is like paying for yesterday's dead horse. In other words, I live for my visa payments. Number four, my life is like a sailing ship at sea without a captain or without a sail. It just goes with the current. Again, you're listening to a message that I gave a while back, and I, I want to break in here and, and uh, just say this. Hey, I'm putting together, I, the, the, the leaders here at uh, Krista Ministry, the radio ministry, have, have allowed me to have a spot to put some three- to five-minute shows on FM at, at some strategic times and some other locations, too, that are pure evangelism. And they're of the tone of, if you probably don't remember this, some, uh, some of people like me would remember it. Paul Harvey had a show called The Rest of the Story. Well, it's kind of that tone. They're little pericopes, a little inslots from history, meaningful things about how to receive Christ and what he means. I need some friends to help me pay for that. I've got some of it paid for. I've got some friends helping with the show. But if, if you could... This Christmas season, go to my website, DougMearnRadio.com, DougMearnRadio.com. Just go there to DougMearnRadio.com, and you through PayPal can give a gift, or my address is there where you could mail a check. I'm going to put it all toward 
one, our airfare for the show here, but also for these spots for outreach. We want to be doing outreach. So if you want to help with some evangelism, boy, I would really appreciate it. And I know you're going to enjoy today's uh, message because I I remember now writing that book and and preparing this message and, and tons of people were really helped by this. So enjoy as you listen today and God bless you. And another way to support the Caught on Tape broadcast, when you purchase Logos Bible software products, a portion of those proceeds will benefit this radio program. Just go to Logos.com slash Caught on Tape. That's Logos.com slash Caught on Tape. And now back to more Caught on Tape with Doug Murray. I'll go through them again. You ready? Did you characterize your life yet? One, my life is like a jail sentence. Number one. Number two, my life is a harried rush against the clock. Thirdly, my life is like paying for yesterday's dead horse. Uh, our family had to pay for a dead horse once. We borrowed a horse going a high mountain hike, and the crazy thing had a heart attack up in the Cascades and rolled down the hill. And I remember discussions. My mother discussed it quite often. We had discussions around the dinner table about the payments for this dead horse. So it's, uh, <clears throat> there's nothing worse than paying for a dead horse. Can't ride it, can't enjoy it, it's dead. At the bottom of the ravine. Before my life is like a sailing ship without a sail or a commander. I'm just kind of floating around out there. Or fifthly, my life is, a, is an artistic work of God. Now, which attitude do you think would most set you up to be in line with perceiving and recognizing God's will in your life every day? Hmm? Now, one guy last night suggested that we have a number six, which is all of the above. You know, but... but uh, we're talking about attitudes here. And, and sometimes it is so easy to get an attitude that says, my life is just a jail sin. And and I want to suggest it's pretty tough to recognize God's will when that's your basic approach to living. When you get up in the morning and say, ten more years. Ten more years. Kind of takes the pizzazz out of it. Or if you get up and say, you know, I love this commercial where you drive up to the the little speaker booth and you say, give me two more weeks. (laughs) I need a couple hours or just a minute, just one minute. And they're buying time. Well... Sometimes it can seem like a harried press, uh, just press to, to beat the clock. And, and, and I think the attitude Peter is talking about here is, if every morning we get up and we say, Lord, I thank you that today is another step in your artistic processes in my life. I want to, I, just think with me for a moment what that would be like. I know all of us already do that. Let's, let's kind of rehearse our life then. That... Getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, whoever I encounter this day, whatever decisions I must make, whatever goes wrong is part of your artistic process. And for that, I praise you. Would life take on a little bit of a different perspective for us? How many would recognize it? So he starts there and he says, the place to begin is attitudinally. Because if your attitude is one of anticipating God's artistic working in your life, you will be set up to always be where God is at work. You'll recognize it. If you expect it, you'll recognize it. It's kind of a law of life. You see what you have eyes to see. It just works that way. And so he begins there. Start building your life around the anticipation that God has already said you are his workmanship of grace. 
You are his sculpture. You are something he is making into something very beautiful. I've been here long enough and known so many of you. It's just exciting to see what God is doing in your life. It's impressive. I spoke this morning with a young woman between the, the services. And she, when she came here the first time, she had just lost all of her assets, is involved now in a couple of lawsuits. And she said she came and started giving her heart to the Lord and she began to get courage to face life again. And while she's facing life, she says, I, I just had an inspiration one day to start this business. She had, I think she said that she had $140 a month return from something and, and, and a little bit of food and she started a business and nonetheless on that. And God has started prospering that business until she's very successful already in just a matter of a few months. And she said it was when she began to realize the Lord was at work in her life that she had courage to face life and launch out and do some of the things she had dreams to do. It's just exciting to see some of the, some of the homes that have just become exemplary of, of God's blessing through terrible circumstances and situations. But I know it begins in this place. When you hear the Holy Spirit's perspective about what God is doing with you. We are an artistic expression of God's work. He's making us into an artwork that would glorify His name. Number two, we need to step it up. He's looked down here in verse 7, as we did already. This whole section here, he suggests, I, I call it a Christian time awareness. It's an awareness of time that is distinctly Christian. And, and I think it's one we ought to pay attention to. Uh, I'm going to get kind of nasty on this point. I want everybody to s- just sit still and hold tough here. Because th- this one, I want to be heard clearly. And I am going to tromp on toes. I hope not to bruise too many big toes. But we- I want to talk very straight. There is a tendency to lose our sense of time awareness as Christians. And to move into what I call uh, kind of delayed obedience. Or postponed living, kind of a perspective that says, well, in six months from now, kids, we're really going to have fun because I'm going to be through this project. And, or in three years from now, I'm going to have such and so done. And then I'm going to, re- I mean, me and the Lord are really going to get it on. Or kind of a postponed approach to life that forgets the Christian perspective of time. A young woman last week after we had sung the chorus, Maranatha, you remember that one? Maranatha, however it goes. Raj, you don't sing it, but he's tried to sing it last time, it was terrible. But she came up and wanted to know what Maranatha meant. And I think she was concerned that we were singing some Eastern mantra or something. And I said, Maranatha was an early greeting that the early church shared with one another. After they got through conversing or communing and having fellowship, they didn't say, see you later, have a, have a great day. They said, what? Maranatha. Let's say it together. Maranatha, which means the Lord cometh. And it was intended to instill in the believers a sense of anticipation, but also a sensitivity to the times in which they lived. That the Lord might very well come before they meet again. And there was not enough time to play catch-up Christianity. You're allotted so much time, Peter says, and that's all you get. I suppose one way you could really illustrate it is, is one, one of my favorite quarter, quarterbacks in the NFL is Steve Pelour. Uh, he's not very popular in Dallas, but I, he, he'll, he'll do better. I, I, I promise you. He, he really will. Steve's a good guy. 
but he Matt and I used to Manny and I used to go watch him play at the Interlake High School when he played up there. It was really great, and then he played for the University of Washington. And I think the University of Washington won the championship that year myself when they beat the University of Oklahoma down in Miami. Remember that? Steve Pelura was the quarterback then. They say that Brigham Young won the championship that year, but you know when you play high schools all year long, you, you can do that. But besides that, God doesn't want Mormons to be number one in the country. We, anybody, anyone in the spirit knows that. And so, well, you know I'm right. You can boo me, but you know I'm right. But then anyway, he goes. He did a play this year that didn't convince them that he really was as sharp as I know he is. He, it was. Fourth down, and they had a few, just a little bit to go, about a yard and a half, to get in scoring position and actually win a game. And Steve rolled out, and the pressure came in. And he forgot it was fourth down, and he thought it was third down. He hadn't paid attention to the little stick on the sideline, and he threw the ball away or ran out of bounds. And you could tell as soon as he stepped out of bounds, you could tell by his body language that he just had remembered it was fourth down. And the Dallas fans, they didn't think that that was too good. They figure a guy getting paid a million dollars a year ought to remember fourth down from third down. It was fourth down, and they lost the game. There was not enough time to get the ball back and go down and score anymore. He'd played a fabulous game. But he had forgotten it was fourth down. No one in that whole stadium remembered all of the phenomenal passes he had thrown or the yardage he had run for, risking his neck. There are gorillas. They've shaved the hair off of him, put in uniforms, chasing him around the field out there, and he's beating them, and no one is going to say, good job, Steve. Because he forgot it was fourth down. And what Peter is saying here is, gang, it's fourth down. You don't have time to play makeup Christianity. If you want to be in God's will, you're going to have to have Christian awareness of what time is all about. You don't have much. You don't have much. Don't play makeup. Be attentive. The Lord may come. Personally, I believe from studying scriptures, and I, I don't have... Uh, you know, I'm not a guy who stands up and says, I know all about end-time doctrine. But frankly, the far vast majority of it I, I don't understand at all. But I do believe this. What I do understand, I do believe all of the major signs have been fulfilled that said would happen on this planet before Jesus Christ would return. There is not a one yet to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ could come this very moment. He didn't. But he could have right then. <laughs> That was a great time. <laughs> In case anyone got nervous, he didn't. He, he could come any moment, and then that's it for us. That time is over. Now, I want, I want to work with this just a second, and then we're going to be done. I've discovered as well that sometimes when we start seeking God's will in an issue, there is silence there. I got away this week for about two or three days of prayer and, and just a writing retreat, just to get away at and get my spirit in tune for movements we're making as a church and just praying over issues of our church life and for a lot of us as individuals and 
And it was just really a great time. There were a couple things I needed some answers for, and I couldn't get any response. I just couldn't come up with anything. No, nothing the Lord was saying. And finally it dawned on me as I was preparing for this message, the Lord was giving me a first-hand illustration. Don't ask him for any new guidance when you haven't done what he's already told you. And some of the reasons we get confused sometimes and we don't know what to do, it's God's way of saying, step back about three steps, do what I've already asked you to do, then let's talk about the new issue. Because time is too short. He says, don't think you've got two more downs, guy. You've got no downs left. It's fourth down. Do what I've told you and then let's go on. Obey me. Do what I've already asked you. Do what I've asked you and you'll be in a position, he says, to be in God's will in the next portion of your life. That's the way our life is built on building blocks. Now, if you're here today, and you've searched for God's will, and you're going to get the answer, let me encourage you gently just to look back and say, is there anything that I have been clearly spoken to about that I have not done that I need to simply go back and obey before I expect the Lord to lead me any further? If so... Let me encourage you to go ahead and have the courage to take care of it. I came back with a couple things that I, that I know we're supposed to do here before God is going to make clear the next step for us. There are a couple things we have to do, and we're going to do them. It'll be easy. It'll be fine. Mostly things I have to do, but it'll work out. And when we do that, we'll be in a position to hear God's will for our next trek of our journey. Amen? Well, that's two out of eight. That's all we're going to get done today. I want you to say two phrases with me, though, that will help kind of seal it all in our mind and spirit today. First, let's say, I am an artistic work of God. Okay, let's, I am an artistic work of God. And secondly, let's say it's fourth down. It's fourth down. Okay, one more time. I am an artistic work of God, and it's fourth down. Well, you've been listening to Caught on Tape again, a, a past message I give. Hey, I'm doing some training in churches. If your church is interested, I'm calling them schools of evangelism. I, I couldn't think of anything more corny than that. And or and I thought if I get snazzy, it just sounds cute. Basically, I find that about 10 to 15% of any church can get pretty good at sharing their faith. And when that 10, 15 percent of the the church population is not engaged, the church will die. It will not grow if you're not doing outreach. And I can prove that. I've been at this a long time. And uh, I've studied and I've I've presented this thing to uh, tens of thousands of people. I mean, probably more like a quarter million people uh, on, on how to share your faith called Schools of Evangelism. And I've done this in seminaries. I've done it everywhere. So if you would like to get this presentation to your church, I we'll make it work one way or another. We're not, you know, but but it does help our show because I will ask you to, you know, help with the show if I come and help you with the evangelism because we really want to make this thing work. So thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I sure enjoy bringing them to you. So God bless you. And by the way, if I can help you in any way, connect you with some friends in your city or ever, wherever where you need help, just go to my website, DougMurinRadio.com, and there's a place that, that will get an email to me directly, and I answer every last one of them quickly. So, God bless you. Well, my hope for you this Christmas season is it would become the most memorable you've ever had. I know I'm going to be 
spending with my parents, and I'm looking forward to that, and my children, and my kids, and my wife, and and uh, I think this season, Christ has an extraordinary blessing in mind for you. So have an eye for it, be open to it, and be blessed in Him above all things. And another way to support the Caught on Tape broadcast, when you purchase Logos Bible software products, a portion of those proceeds will benefit this radio program. Just go to logos.com slash caught on tape. That's logos.com slash caught on tape. Caught on Tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, Caught on Tape, at 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801. Or online at DougMurinRadio.com. 